Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest, 30-year leadership veteran of AT&T and current CEO of NWS, Xavier Williams. Hey, what you drink? So those are the five things I feel like I should be charging everyone for a coaching session because I just shared where I start out with every engagement. I want to come back at you and just say, because you seem to live out those five things without even hearing those five things. How did you come to your personal platform being important to you as a leader? Uh, So people around me, accountability partner, a few moments ago, I had some mentors that really challenged me around accountability and part and parcel with that, um, good, bad, or indifferent. A lot of times the jobs that I was parachuted in, it was turnaround situations. Um, Good, bad, or indifferent. There are a lot of times that people of color, women, they get jobs that there is not the foundational element of success built. You have to go build something. And I learned as, and there's another really big reason why I had to learn how to do this, but I learned early that being able to articulate who you are, you know, your, your questions, I'm not going to do them verbatim who you are, why you're doing certain things. And the last one, you, your number five is what my wife will call receipts. Mm. What are your receipts? Yeah. You got receipts that you can show people of what you're doing. And I learned that. And, and another reason I had to learn it early was, and, and this is a true story in 30 years at at and I had three direct reports that were younger than me. So think of probably hundreds of people worked for me. Only three people were younger than me. I was always a young person rising in the organization. And I had to figure out early on, how do I get credibility with people who are more experienced than me, older than me, probably knew more than me about the business. But for whatever reason, I was the quote unquote boss. And that was making sure they understand that, hey, I'm not here to do your job. I'm here to lead and set an example and set a direction. So, you know, I guess it's this happenstance and necessity that I've learned those things. And what you just did, and I'm going to make sure I'm going to write those down, you've codified it and put it in the language in a way that makes sense. I just did it out of necessity more than anything. Wow. And, you know, we we started this conversation talking about the parallel to to jazz, and I, I I love the way you described it. But then when I understand that one of your favorites is Thelonious Monk, I mean Ooh. Thelonious Monk is like the jazz musician's favorite jazz musician, <laughs> right? It's like mm-hmm. everyone pauses when they mention Thelonious and raise a cup, right? <laughs> and raise a cup. <laughs> you t- have to t- tell me what is it about Thelonious Monk that. Uh, seems to garner such respect 
for those people who really understand jazz music and and several people like myself who just knows what they like i i don't i don't know the intricacies of how they do this stuff i just know when they do it something happens inside of me and thelonious monk is at the top of the list that people usually go to he is the master of improvisation where he's going to spaces that how did you get there and you used the word earlier around instinct because there were so many of his and obviously i wasn't there but what i've learned over the years was so many of his songs so many of the sets that they were involved in and he was involved in it was not written down as you said earlier it was we're going to play from feeling we're going to play from instinct we don't know where this is going we don't know where this is ending and if you think about having a, a heart a mind and a soul that's how do you bring all of those things together and express it round midnight changed my life man first time i heard i'm like what in the world is this and again just understanding the first time he played it it wasn't written down it was not written down and then being able to recreate something that wasn't written down you can't make that up wow. you cannot make that up and again there are times from a leadership perspective that happens how many times have you been in front of people and you got to figure out how to motivate someone and the old tricks don't work anymore <laughs> you got to be from an improvisation standpoint you got to be able to read your crowd know who you are and relate the two real time and a lot of times you know you know and, and it's always the thing when and and i didn't talk about this from jazz i talk about this and i ha always had this conversation with my wife who was a preacher and i would always say to her um tina it's not what you say it's what people hear mm. and i think about that from a jazz standpoint with Thelonious Monk, it wasn't always just what he was playing. It was what people were hearing and the feelings that it could evoke. So, look, I get chill bumps when I think about it. I listen to his music. I get chill bumps. Wow. And he's a special dude. He's a special dude. I'll, I'll tell you an, another guy that I, that I put, I think a lot of people will put on the Mount Rushmore for jazz, uh, is John Coltrane. And every, everyone knows how I feel about Miles Davis. Uh, but John Coltrane, the first time I picked up John Coltrane, I just got it because you're supposed to have John Coltrane. And it just happened to be Bitches Brew. And, I, and that was my first introduction to John Coltrane. And I'm just going to tell you, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I played it. I listened to it. Wow. And, uh, you know, I, I put it back on the shelf and I didn't get it. I wasn't ready. And then I, I, you know, followed through with the rest of my maturation, went back to Miles, was hitting Miles pretty hard. You know, uh, Marcus Miller, danced around a little bit with Marcus Miller, Stanley Jordan. And then I came back to John Coltrane and all of a sudden I got it. And one of the albums, the record albums, the, the vinyl that did it for me was on Love Supreme, when he was talking about, he said that he was playing for God and we just happened to be listening. So this wasn't, he wasn't playing for us. He was playing for God 
and we just have to be listening. And at that point, I was like, oh, my gosh. So what is it that go? And I love your connection because you're, you're doing this better than I had even intended, making the connection between jazz and leadership. But what is it, do you think, that gives people the courage to step outside of the script? Because, you know, any of us who've had the opportunity to uh, take any management classes, you know, we, we learn the, the principles that you're supposed to follow and the things you're supposed to do. And it's, it's when we step outside of that and, and bring in our own personal authenticity that things start to happen. What is it, do you think, that gives people the courage to step away from the tried and true and to go into that space where they can create? Yeah, look, it's it's bespoke for each individual. So, I mean, that that's first. It, it, you got to find out what it is for you. So, I was in my early 30s. It's probably 31 or 32 years old. I had taken over a branch for AT&T in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And my secretary walks in the room and says, I can call in whale at any time. It's like, what in the world are you talking about? What is calling in whale? She says, I have 35 years with the company. And the day that you piss me off, I'm going to call you and say, well, I ain't coming in no more. <laughs> she found her thing that allowed her to be her authentic self, which was the empowerment of she could retire. She was the greatest admin I ever, I shouldn't say that, one of the greatest admins I ever had because she was totally free. And in her mind, that freedom came from her ability to retire. So for all of us, we got to find out what is that thing that allows us to be authentic. And I would, look, I, I know for me, a lot of that authenticity, that freedom comes from spirituality knowing who I am as a Christian, know whom I am in God, but it, it, that might not be what the next person needs. The next person might need financial freedom or financial independence, all of those different types of things. But Galen, this goes back to finding your voice. It has to be, what is the thing for you that's going to make the difference? And, you know, but you got to know when you've achieved it. And I can't tell you, I, I'll give you a great example of a leader that I have all the respect for in the world. Um, Sint Marshall is now the president of the Dallas Mavericks. She's the first African-American female to reach that level in the NBA. That woman has not only an anointing on her life, she's free and she speaks her truth. And it's infectious <laughs> because you can, like you could. You can feel the energy coming off of her. She's a cancer survivor. She's done so many different things in her life. I don't know what that individual thing was that allowed her to do it. But when you're around her, you're like, I want, I want two of those. I, I want two. To, yeah, well, I want two. Get, give it to me. I, whatever. Now, let's be very clear, though. Let's be very clear. You want to hear a testimony. You want to hear a testimony because what she had to do to get that you might not want to go through it. So that's where we all want to be authentic leaders. We all want to be thought as thought leaders. We want all those different things. But what are the trials and tribulations that you have to do to get there? So, you know, 
just watch that for all of us as leaders and wanting to have these success philosophies and all that different type of stuff. You're going to have to go through some stuff to get there to tell your story. Wow. Okay. So you, you know, the way you and I met uh, was through the executive leadership council. And that's something that you've been associated with for some time. I've just recently uh, gotten associated with them doing some facilitation, some training, some coaching with them and that kind of thing. And I, I fell in love with the Executive Leadership Council because they are very, very overt with saying, we are here to help African-Americans get into the C-suites of, of major corporations. There is a, a, an audacity <laughs> that goes with being able to make that statement out loud that I was just drawn to. And so I'm curious how you would articulate the need for an organization that is focused on helping African-Americans navigate what it takes to get to the C-suite. Because it's not just about IQ. It's not just about intellect. It's not just about degrees. There's, a, there's, another, there's another something that goes into making that happen. Yeah. Uh, and so what, what's the significance of an organization or people like yourself being committed to that cause? Yeah, the, the ELC is special. Not only, and I'm going to augment what you just said, not only is it about getting people of color into the C-suite, it's also into the boardroom also. And what makes the organization so special is it is unabashed about what their objective is. Because the only way that people of color are going to be successful in this journey is understanding the game that's being played and there's a different language, there's a different conversation, there's a different set of rules that are in that C-suite, that are in that boardroom. And what the ELC attempts to do is to demystify that for us. Because one of the things that over the years, Galen, there was a time when we didn't know what the rules of the game were. I might have said this to you before. I didn't beat my brother until Monopoly until I was 13 years old because I figured out he was cheating because he would change the rules every time we played. <laughs> but once I figured out how to play, I could beat him. If you want to participate in the C-suite, if you want to participate in the boardroom, not that somebody's cheating, but there are certain rules that you need to understand that you need to follow. And you got to be able to be able to connect the dots and be able to effectively play the game. The ELC is trying to make sure that we understand those rules. Membership in the ELC does not guarantee a C-suite job. It does not guarantee a board, a board room seat. But what it does do, it is a community of individuals that have experiences, that have information, that have knowledge that you could tap into, that if that's your goal and aspiration, it can help advance that agenda for you. And the people, one of the things, and I heard about the organization literally in 1990, I was in grad school and I remember it was portrayed as it is the baddest brothers and sisters in corporate America. And that's exactly what it is. And these folks have, oh my God, they got strategies. <laughs> if you if you think about certain things, I always think of it, I always think of it in, in three different tandems or three different areas, vision, strategy, and execution. You are not going to find people, anyone better at vision, strategy, and execution than you are in the executive leadership council. 
And to be able to be associated with these individuals, I can't tell you how much I've learned. I can't tell you how much I've watched people strategize and think through how they're going to position a person, position a cause, position whatever to advance not only themselves, but advance other people. Because it's very important culturally that you're pulling up the next person behind you. That's probably more important than your own personal accomplishment. So it's a special organization. You know, one of the things that you, you and I talked about, and I just want to get a little bit of this on this side of the of the velvet rope, because I got to pull you into the VIP room. I, I, I've i got to. Okay. But but one one little thing I'd love for you to talk about, because you and I mentioned, we, we, we talked about this just briefly, is about the most effective way to use mentors. And, and, and what we talked about is the least effective way would be to roll up to someone like, Xavier Williams and say, Xavier, tell me what I need to do. And because Xavier doesn't know what you need to do. <laughs> I, I can yeah. tell you what I did. I can tell you what I would do. But I, right. but the more effective way would be to say, Xavier, this is what I'm trying to do. This is what I'm thinking about doing. These are the, the avenues and the options that I have. What would be your take on these options? Talk a little bit about just the effective way to approach a mentor or someone that you'd like to get uh, some insight from? So one of the things, especially with mentors that I've learned over the years is one, mentors choose you. You don't choose your mentors. Um, Why do I say that? Mentors are giving you the most valuable thing that they have, which is their time. And they're not going to give their time to someone that they don't feel is worthy of the investment. So that's one, that's part of true mentorship. Two. Around mentorship, it's two ways. It's two ways. If you really have a mentor, it's two ways because sooner or later, they're going to be tapping into you for some knowledge. They're going to be tapping into you for some understanding on some things. So one, from a a foundational standpoint, when you talk about mentors to me, Galen, it's somebody who has chosen you and you have a two-way relationship with them. It's just not you're sucking information from them. You're giving information too. So if that's the nature of your relationship, first of all, that's a mentorship to me. So that's one. Now around bringing stuff to them, there are always going to be nuances that you have to learn to understand about someone you're seeking advice from. There are some special people, I include you in this, that could put themselves in your shoes. That's not everybody. They're going to give you their opinion. They're going to give you their view from their their lens. So you got to accept that and realize that up front. So when you're coming to someone and believe me, I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, you know, I want to be where you are. Well, do you really know where I am? First of all, especially if you're not in the same company that I'm in. We don't have similar background. There, there's certain things that can't be replicated. You got to understand. I had a conversation with a young lady earlier today who was over at Amazon. Amazon's culture is so different than AT&T and other people's culture. I could share some of the things that we've done that we could do at AT&T. It might not fly at Amazon. So a lot of times when you're talking to a mentor, You got to make sure they understand your culture. They got to understand who you are, where you're coming from. All those different types of things are very important. Now, if you get that done, 
and, and there's something that I've learned over the years that is getting more important to me. I used to be in search of the right answer. I'm now in search of how do I frame the question mm. correctly? Ooh. And if I could frame the question correctly, I could glean information from someone that could help me make an informed decision. And when you're going to a mentor, it's okay to ask a broad question, but the more specific you could get in asking a question and framing the question correctly, they can provide you better inputs to help you make better decisions for whatever you're trying to achieve. You always want to be thoughtful when you're dealing with your mentor. You always want to, and you know, tell them, hey, I'm still trying to formulate how to ask this question, but this is what I'm thinking. Give them a baseline, give them a sense of what you're trying to find out. And now here's the most important thing. What are you going to do when they give you an answer you don't want to hear? How are you going to deal with that? How are you going to deal with that? Are they no longer an Xavier fan? <laughs> are they, <laughs> do they not know what they're talking about? So there's a lot that goes on with that mentor. If they're truly your mentor, there's a lot that goes into that. Wow. This, this has been an amazing conversation, as I told you it would be. But before we close down the, the, this part of our, of our connection, uh, what advice would you, would you give to just someone listening? Because i got a number of people listening to this podcast, and they're always looking for gems on how they should think differently about this leadership thing so that they can be more effective. Uh, do you have like one or two pieces of, of wisdom that, that, that you've tested over time uh, that go into being an effective leader? One of the things that as a leader, we talk about authenticity and things of that nature. Every great leader that I've ever been associated with, they know their vulnerabilities and they allow themselves to be vulnerable. That's a hard place to go. That's a very hard place to go because one of the tenets that I try to practice in terms of uh, managing people and leading people, find talented people, give them clear direction, and then get out of the way. Then you inspect on what you expect. That's going to work a lot. Sometimes it's going to work against you. And are you vulnerable enough that you're going to be able to deal with that time that someone disappoints you because you've extended to a certain extent, you've extended your brand to them as your leader. You've given them what you want them to do and they go do what they want to do anyway. How do you deal with that? So one of the things from a tidbit standpoint, as a leader, you got to learn to be vulnerable. You're, you're going to be disappointed in someone or something. So that's one. The second thing is, uh, I would just try to articulate this in a way that makes sense. I, I'm trying to find the words to put this in related to being a leader. We always want to succeed. We always want to win. My biggest learnings as a leader have been from failures and have been from losses. Mm. And I am not waking up in the morning and saying, I hope I failed again. <laughs> <laughs> but when that occurs, it, I open my eyes and I really take the time to make sure I learned from it. We always, and it's one of those funny things, um, and you do this for a living. You'll ask people, 
well, tell me about one of your failures. And most people are like, oh, man, oh, you know, it, because what's human nature? You want to put that out of your mind. You Let me set that aside. I don't want to talk about something I failed at or something I lost. But how do you make sure you've learned from that experience? And that's now an arrow in your quiver that you can use to catapult your leadership position. So I think those are two things. Embrace your failures, embrace your losses, and make sure you have learned from them what the lesson you're supposed to learn. I know you go to church. No testimony without the test. (laughs) And you might not have passed the test, but you got to have the testimony. You got to go through the test to get the testimony. Wow. Well, this has been amazing. And we, we, boy, I tell you, we started out too strong because we've given away far too much for free. Uh, (laughs) I got to bring you into the VIP room, but on this side of the road, man, raise your brown liquor and I'm going to, I'm going to raise my Blantons and just thank (laughs) you so much for who you are and what you are doing, because it Mm -hmm. absolutely matters that you're on this planet at this time. Uh, because you are you are uh, amazing as a leader, and thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you, thank you. All right, man. Appreciate that. Cheers. Cheers. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guest and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.